Crossroads is a church for people journeying toward thriving faith in Jesus. We covenant to help people move people through our four objectives. By helping you, your neighbors, and friends discover Jesus by being a vibrant worshiping community that is a trusted presence in greater Baltimore. By making it simple to belong to our church family. By assisting you to identify your unique role to play in God's story and by offering support as you develop a personal faith that functions and serves in today's world. This is our mission. Together, we will help many people, including you and your family, flourish through life's crossroads. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Through Life's Crossroads. I'm here with Crossroads Children's Pastor, Pastor Lynn Brooks. How are you doing, Lynn? I'm doing great. It's so awesome to be here with you today. Excellent. I am so looking forward to this conversation with you. And I feel like it's uh, just incredibly timely in the, uh, the world we live in today to talk about the concept of grief. Absolutely. Uh, for, um, I mean, you're listening to this. You see that uh, it's it's been a rough year for many of us in grief looks takes on many different shapes and forms and um and particularly uh you and i are going to talk about it i think because um of personal experiences of grief and we're going to share those experiences with you guys as we talk here but before we get there i thought it'd be really good to start by talking about uh christian grief and uh biblical grief um, one of my big frustrations, Lynn, one of my big frustrations, and I'll just confess it here on this podcast, is um, when it comes time for me to start visiting end of life and then move into a funeral and to see people who are clearly sad and heavy and in a dark space, try to talk themselves into a celebration. Um, maybe maybe use language through tears and... Uh, and lips that are quivering of saying, we want this to be a celebration of their life. And um, I certainly understand that sentiment. The reason we're sad is because their life is worth celebrating. Um, but but I think we've gotten a little too far away um, from, from the Christian history, the biblical history of leaning into our grief and being honest about our grief. And um, And my hope is that you and I today can help um, create some some context for people who either are grieving now, or certainly all of us will face grief before we die, of, of helping to think how to process that clearly. Yes, I think in my own healing, um, in my adult life, I've had to learn to create space for grief and to really unpack the trauma in my life. I think our nature is to, and especially in our society, to get busy and to, um, you know, to suppress just those feelings simply because it's it's easier, I think, sometimes than just really, like you said, leaning into it, allowing yourself to feel pain. Absolutely. And I think um, I think, too, that that our read of of texts like the Revelation text that says that there will be no more tears in our eyes. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And our desire to live into the kingdom sometimes makes us shape and think, well, Christ has won the victory. So why am I living in sadness of this world that is a fallen world? And 
And I can, I can understand that line of thought because oftentimes I want to think kingdom values are what I want to live today. But inherent in a text like that at the end of Revelation is that this life and this world makes us cry because there is sadness in it. And it is in Christ only after his final victory that, that grief will be no more. Grief is a reality of where we're at now. And there are so many stories in the scripture that invite us into healthy grief and healthy mourning. And, and so I'm wondering, what's maybe a story or two that is particularly meaningful to you that invites you into mourning? Um, one of the verses that I've been hanging out with is, you know, the familiar Psalm 139. We all know that passage for you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But it also says, you know, the psalmist says, where can I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And I think oftentimes that is what grief feels like. It yeah. feels like this deep, dark, lonely hole. And yet we read in scripture and we know that God is even there in the depth. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, I, I totally agree. And, and our, our inclination, I think, is to think when bad things are happening, God must have abandoned us. Why did, why did God allow this to happen? Why did, and, and those are all good questions. Those are questions that we should sit with in our grief. I mean, really to get to the heart of God and that's, that's okay. Ask God hard questions. I believe that. Um, but, but it's important to recognize that, um, that, that God does not abandon you into your grief. But like you're saying in that verse, God, God goes into those dark places with you. And that's more hopeful than thinking we've been abandoned into sadness, I think. Absolutely. I totally agree. So um, once upon a time, and, and this has helped me think about grief, um, I got a call from one of my wife's very, very good friends in our church. I had been out of town on a retreat, and I was on my way back in the car. And when I left, she was pregnant and happy. And when I got this call, she had, uh, she had delivered a miscarried child, a mm -hmm. uh, fully, fully formed child who was weeks away from due date. She birthed and was stillborn. And um, I now have the rest of a long car drive to figure out what in the world I am going to say to this because there's there's no words that makes that okay. I mean, that's, I've seen a lot of trauma and grief, but that's about the thing that I've had the least amount of words for. Yeah. That's not, there's nothing good about this. And so um, I walked that process with them. And I, I remember two things from the whole process. One was Sharice was in town. She was not with me. So she went to the hospital first. And um, the one thing that this lady wanted was Sharice to hold her baby. And so Sharice held a lifeless dead baby. What an honor. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I, uh, Sharice... Uh, my wife uh, is not um, like she can get grossed out. You know, I mean, like before we had kids and before she was a teacher, like if she saw puke, she was puking, man. <laughs> like, but but she had not mentally prepared for a day that she would hold a dead person, right? And she did. She held this baby, and and that was that was the meaningful moment to the family. 
just fascinating that in the midst of grief that wasn't ours, just showing up and doing what the people who are grieving asked, even even if it cuts against maybe your own disgust codes, your own your own sense of what I want to do or what I don't want to do, that was healing. That was helpful in a in a when words weren't going to work. The other thing was is that I was asked to preach a funeral. We did a whole funeral, and um, I, as you know, I'm not a big crier. I'm I'm like I can't I do cry, but um, I can, I can, I, I work my way through world as a thinker and a rationalizer. And, um, I, I prepped myself real good for how terrible of a funeral it'd be to bury a baby. But when I showed up and saw a casket, the size of a shoebox, mm-hmm. I cried. I, I, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to preach this funeral. What am I going to say mm-hmm. to a shoebox? Mm-hmm. And, um, what I, what I did say and, and what, husband and wife then I printed out the manuscript of it for them was that um, there's there's nothing good to say when your child dies there's nothing good to say but what we know is that we serve a God who watched his child die yeah. and so um, so that there's good news in the cross of Christ for those of us who grieve because we serve a God who has experienced grief in the ways that we experience grief. Yeah, and I find it I find it such an honor when people invite us into those deep places. Like for me that and I've tried to be very intentional one having walked through my own trauma and my own grief, but just really seeing that space as holy ground mm-hmm. and to not take that for granted. And I think so oftentimes we, you know, when you talk about Christian grief and stuff like that, you know, we're known for giving these empty platitudes and, you know, we're, we're real quick to slap a scripture on it or something like that. And, and even though we know that those are truths that are forged in the depths of grief and pain and so forth, but in those moments, I think, I think as God's presence is the promise, that is our greatest gift to offer. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think uh, the fear of saying something wrong causes us to not show up, which is good. You should have a healthy fear of not saying something wrong. Some horrible things have been said at funerals across the years in an attempt to be kind. Yeah. Right. But when people around you are dealing with grief, show up, be present and sit in silence. Uh, accept the silence. Be be not afraid of the silence. You be shocked when your grief comes, how much it means that someone will just sit there with you. Yeah. And and um, if if you're if you're grieving, find someone to sit with you. And if you know someone who's grieving, sit with them. Show up. I mean, I, I know there's been um, some pretty traumatic things that have happened in the life of our church since I've been here. And I think of one time uh, that you and I sat in a hospital waiting room from the time church ended on Sunday clear until after dinner. And I don't think you and I said anything, neither of us said anything worthwhile all day long because there's nothing to say, mm-hmm. but you just got to show up. And this is not the work of pastors. It is the work of pastors, but it's the work of all of us as the people of God. There were lovely people from our congregation there with us who we just all sat together and sharing grief with a family or people that mourn, I think is a powerful ministry. Absolutely. I mean, it's bearing each other's burdens. Yeah. And, and hugely, hugely important couple other times I thought about grief in the scripture was, um, uh, you know, Jesus, when he is, uh, 
when he's sharing in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will, for they shall be comforted. Uh, just a reminder, an important reminder, I think that mourning is not excluded from the Christian life and those who mourn, Jesus said, are blessed. That That's a, that's a hard truth to reconcile because you feel anything but blessings in times of mourning. But but Jesus Jesus shows up and brings comfort and will bring comfort to those who are mourned. He doesn't exclude mourners from those who are blessed. I think that's an important thing. And I also think about in the Old Testament, um, uh, there's a whole book on lamentations that's about, com it's just a series of written complaints to God, like shaking your fist at heaven. And so I'm reminded that that the Christian life is not exclusionary to grief, that we are welcomed, we're welcomed to experience the sadness of this life in its fullness and that God shows up in those times. I agree. I mean, I think it's learning, right? If I had to sum up life, I think it's learning to live in the two realities. Yeah. You know, in the, in the, the, the different paradoxes of, you know, all that is good and all that is hard in life and in death yeah. and, you know, grief and in God's glory and presence that comes through that. Yeah. The, um, the, the deep theological concept here is called eschatology, which is the, the study of how things will end in one way. But the way people talk about it that I love is the already and the not yet. Yeah. There is what is already that we know and see in fullness. And there is that which is to be revealed and um, finding ourselves in that tension is Christian work. Living into the not yet, but also embracing the already. Anticipating what is not yet and not fully embracing the already, but finding ourselves in that tension is, uh, is good work. Yeah, and I'm often tempted, especially in, in trials and in the most difficult places in life, to offer up or forfeit comfort and even my faith in some regards on the altar of human understanding mm -hmm. meaning yeah. there's just that temptation that i want to i want to figure it out i want to know why i want the answers to you know why i have poured my heart out on behalf of my dad and yet he still you know is is struggling with cancer or just you know the many traumas that that i've faced in my own life and yet I have to release that and trust that that the greater days will come but ultimately the presence and the comfort of god in this moment is really all god has promised me absolutely blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted not blessed are those who mourn because we're comforting them right now absolutely that's such a weird tension to live in and and one of the things i remember in a moment where i'm not actively grieving you are actively grieving we'll talk about this in just a moment um, but I've had grief in my life, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, when I'm not actively grieving, I um, I find I find such hope in um, uh, I've lost my place just a little bit. I'm sorry, um, but I, I find such incredible hope in, in recognizing that there is a mystery in God. That like as much as I want to understand what God is up to and where God is when I'm hurting, when I'm not actively grieving. If I could just nail down God that easy, that would not be a God worth worshiping. Absolutely. That part of mystery, part of faith, part of God is about being beyond what I can see and understand. And if God fit into my understanding at all places and turns, 
that's no longer a definition of God. That's math or science or something like that. And so that brings me help and hope looking back at those moments of grief. I couldn't see it at the time. But one of the things about practicing our Christian faith in times where it's good as well is learning realities that comfort us through the moments where we're struggling, I think. I agree. So let's talk a little bit about the stories of our grief and why it is you and I are having this conversation in particular. Um, you made mention just a moment ago that uh, your dad is wrestling with cancer right now. And I, I know that's colored so much of your last year. And um, just unbelievably, this is in the backdrop of a season of pandemic and distance and people not really being able to gather around you like we would normally. So could you just walk us through a little bit about how you're processing grief per personally and what's happening in your life? Sure. Um, exactly a, a year ago in last March, right before everything started to shut down and um, my dad got the cancer diagnosis and um, we were shocked. My dad's a marathon runner. He's retired um, two times over military, um, just super, super healthy. Um, and yet, he was almost immediately stage four. And uh, over the last year, we've had um, some, you know, some success with um, the treatments, but uh, I guess it was a, in August where it just really came crashing down in that um, it was just evident that, you know, what the doctors were hopeful for in terms of treatment was not going to produce or heal my dad. And, um, and so for me in this entire time, it's just felt like a long goodbye. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's not to say that, that I don't still wake up at three in the morning and just cry out on behalf of my dad and, and ask for the miracle. And, and honestly, I, I think I will, you know, again, we talk about those, those two realities. I will, as long as there is breath in my dad's lungs, I will continue to contend and cry out for his healing this side of heaven. But I also can see the reality of the slow fade in his physical body. And um, at times it's, it's breathtaking. It, it's overwhelming. Um, it just brings about deep despair. Yeah. Uh, my dad died similarly to how your dad is dying. Um, he died in the year 2004, the year after I graduated college. I was a first-year seminary student, 23 years old. He um, he uh, was given a similar diagnosis that we wouldn't have expected. Um, his was esophageal cancer. And um, he went in for what was a fairly routine surgery at the time to cut out the esophagus, which was where the cancer was singularly located in his body stretch his stomach to become his esophagus, which is just breathtakingly amazing what doctors have sorted to figure out. I mean, just like it still blows my mind that someone thought that they could just extend one piece of tissue to replace one that needed to go. And it was a successful surgery. So we thought we were going to move on with life. And um, the, what ended up getting him was the incision leaked. And so his body became filled with infection and he moved into essentially a coma and would spend the next uh, six or so months in a coma. 
um, not not officially, but for all intents and purposes, he was he was drugged asleep and he was on a ventilator for six months. And so we kind of anticipated the day was going to come that they're just going to say there was no more hope. Well, he came out of it, was released from that and was sent home. And um, my dad was, uh, I mean, 6'2", 340, 350, and, and a whole lot of that was muscle. I mean, he was just a mountain of a man. And um, by the time he was released from the hospital, he was in a wheelchair and weighed about 150, 160 pounds. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was hard to see, um, but we couldn't believe what we had seen and what we had gotten to. And so he was home for about a month to a month and a half. Um, I went home for Thanksgiving and got to see him and spend some time with him from Kansas City where I was in seminary. And um, as soon as I went back to school to take my finals, I got a call that I had to come back home that he had been readmitted to the hospital. And because, because they'd spent this entire year of lifelessness dealing with the immediate threat, that's what medicine is always supposed to do. Mm-hmm. They had not been checking that, that the cancer had returned and spread throughout his body and, and devastated him. And so at the end of the day, we don't even know what kind of cancer killed him. We know where it started. We know what happened. You know, it, there's no real blame to throw at anyone. But um, cancer had returned, and um, within about a week, he, uh, well, about three or four days of that call, he was, he was dead. And um, walking that year, a whole year of what ifs and is he going to make it and praying desperate prayers to only have it end up with death is a harrowing experience and um you know we we arrived at a funeral that my sister's 21 years old still a college student as first year grad student and we got the whole series of platitudes from people trying to say something and um, people are just trying to be nice. I mean, you know this, right? Yeah. And um, oh, it was it was just it was just an unbelievably painful year. And um, there's it's funny. Your your dad is seventy ish, right? Seventy two. Seventy two. Just had a seventy two um, second uh, birthday. Yeah. Yeah, my dad was fifty two. Yeah. And um, neither one of us had it better than the other, right? Like like. And of course, let's hope your dad doesn't die. I'm, I'm not rooting for him that clearly, but um, I think people want to compare and to learn and to know what's better. And and the answer is that uh, the death is the enemy, and it's never a good time, and it's never fair. Absolutely, I think for me, it you know, I just it feels about 20 years too too short. You know, I think we, you know, we're in our 40s, and um, I'm a little further in my 40s, I think, than you, but... Uh... Well, I've not had my 40th birthday yet, Lynn. No, <laughs> oh, oh, just... <laughs> oh, that's great. You're 30. <laughs> oh, I turned 40 this year, though, so... Okay. <laughs> I'll turn 47, and I think you, you know, you start to, you know, you know, you start to prepare for that, you know, winter yeah. season of your parents' life, and, um, but as I said before, my dad was just, has always been so healthy, and so, you know, I, 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 still, I guess, lived subconsciously just with this assurance that we were still a far ways off yeah. from that. And so I think just the uh, the shock and the abruptness of it, you know, is trauma in and of itself. It's, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and the thing, 
the thing that I think is important about your story too is if your dad miraculously goes into remission tomorrow, thanks be to God, that does not negate that this has been a year of grief for you. Yeah. And so grief is not just tied to death, is it? No, I think, um, you know, I think grief is tricky in that it's rarely about one event, even. I think, you know, there, because there are small griefs and, and things that happen in our life that produce, you know, smaller degrees of grief. And then there are larger traumas, you know, that we face. But it seems almost like we kind of carry grief forward with us. And so even though I am grieving, you know, the current situation of my dad's illness and all that comes with that, it, I, I have found, you know, some of the lingering pains from those greater griefs in my prior life, you know, that, and it, it's like they just somehow connect and they, they come together. Absolutely. It's absolutely true. And um, that I, I think that's something that we should we should not forget it like it's it's so maddening it's just like i just want to focus on one thing at a time why do i have to be thinking about that or this or this history or whatever but the emotion reminds us of the emotion and the body remembers yeah. and and when you feel a pain that you've not felt since the last time you grieved the brain makes the connection and it all rises up and uh i just want to say that's normal it's not fun it's not good but it's normal. And I think a lot of times when we enter into seasons of grief and hurt and struggle, um, most people seem to think because we tell ourselves stories in the quiet of our own brain that they're weird or different or they're doing it wrong. You grieve the way you grieve. And um, I mean, when my mom died, one of my daughters bawled and the other one stared off into the into the abyss and there were no tears at all yeah. and um i i wanted to think what's well, really strange why is she not crying but i had i had to walk back and say she's gonna do it her way and i can't i can't make her be anything other than herself and the tears came yeah but uh there's no right or wrong way to grieve the only wrong way to grieve is to suppress it and pretend like you're better than it. Yeah, I think for me where, um, you know, probably the one of the biggest life lessons for me was when I was walking through a really traumatic time in, the, in my past um, where I just, I decided that it was okay to not get over it. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, you know, and if you're close to me, you, you hear me say this because I feel like in some ways it's become one of my life mantras. But, you know, I had the greatest breakthrough when I quit trying to get over it because there are some traumas and some greater griefs that will never get over this side of heaven. And that verse in Psalms that says, for better is one day in your presence, O God, than a thousands elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's what I'm, that's what I live for now, just to be better. Yeah. I am better today than what I was a year ago, a year, two years ago. And, uh, but I'm not over it. And there are some things I won't ever get over, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, I, we're going to talk some more, but that's the moment right there. <laughs> if you're listening to this, that's the moment you take away from it. That is brilliant advice. So, um, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not yet 40, as we just said. And, and interestingly enough, I've already lost both of my parents, which seems deeply unfair, but it is reality at the same time, right? We can't write our own script when it comes to life or death. And uh, my mom's death was different than my dad's death. Um, she had what was clearly a slow decline physically. Many people at Crossroads knew her. She was part of the church here for mm -hmm. two years. She's a wonderful woman. I loved her with all my heart. And um, watching her decline was hard physically, mentally, the whole thing. But I didn't think she was anywhere near death. But I got a call one Wednesday morning that she had been in the hospital and been transported there by ambulance. And then she was in a helicopter. Then she's at Hopkins downtown. And then, I remember. yeah, the doctors are asking me for permission to stop trying to revive her. That's not, I mean, I had seen her that morning. She'd come into my house that morning. She was... Um, this is a deeply different experience than my dad's death. And sometimes people ask me, and um, this, this question doesn't bother me, which, which was harder, to watch a slow death or to just be told that they were dead? It was immediate. Uh, and, and the answer is neither is better than the other. Yeah. It's uh, both of them are traumas and griefs that are really hard to process. A slow, a slow death allows you the chance to process yourself before death and allows you to say the things that you want to be the last things you say. A quick death um, is shocking and leaves you without um, goodbyes. Mm -hmm. um, but you also don't spend a year in active grief and anticipatory grief and it kind of comes and you deal with it because it's it's been given to you rather than having to find that it shows up on your lunch break or at your kid's ball game or whatever. I mean, I, I imagine there's been times this year that you've thought, is this the last fill in the blank? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think oftentimes every, you know, when we come together, I, yeah, I can't help but to leave thinking, will this be the last time that I said, I love you. Or even when I, you know, I get texts from my dad and, you know, will this be the last text and yeah. the last moment that we share here? Yeah, that's, that's so beautiful and holy and also just ridiculously awful. Yeah. Both of those things at the same time. And that's, that's the nature of grief. There's no, it's not fair. It's not fun. It's not good. Yet it's real. And it's something we have to enter into. My my prediction is, Lynn, that if you don't handle this time well, you're going to find dysfunction in your life the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And I would say to you as your friend, you're handling this incredibly well. But if you were to just avoid this all or to try to pretend like it's not real or whatever it was, I, I don't I don't see how you could ever really come to grips with your new reality, whatever that ends up looking like. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, as much as we, we want the white picket fence and we want, you know, the prosperous life that, you know, we're taught in, in the prosperity teachings of mm -hmm. name it and claim it. And, you know, ultimately the Lord never promises that to us. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, he even warns us that life will be hard in this world. You will have trouble and, and reality is is that we will pass through gate the the gates of death in order to you know see and experience god in his fullness 
in heaven. And, um, and again, I always feel that it disadvantage sometimes when I talk about the truths of our um, faith, but they really are just that. And it is, it is that that carries us through these moments of grief. That's absolutely right. Um, John Wesley is one of my heroes of the faith. I just, the way he talked and taught blows my mind, but someone asked him one day, what is the mark of a, of a good Methodist? And he said, uh, Methodists die well. Huh. What, a, what a strange thing to point to. And yet, I mean, he had, he had some of the most unbelievably strict disciplines on his own life and that he would impose on those around him. Sometimes I read it and think it's too much. Sometimes I read it and think we do too little. It probably depends on my day. But everything about discipleship for the Methodists of the 18th century Anglican Church was about dying well, living a life that meant I did not have a cold, dark grip on it, but everything was given to God that even when God took it from me, I was open to that. Yeah. And you've, you've got to practice that. You don't just show up on your deathbed and nail it. You, you have got to practice giving yourself away in trust and in faith. And, and I think Jesus shows us this, man. I mean, he's, he's talking about his death from day one of his ministry. And we know Peter is trying to shut him up every time. I'd be trying to shut him up. Mm -hmm. I know how the story ends. And I see Jesus say, I'm going to die. And I think that's crazy. Why? But Jesus knows where this story is heading all the way along. And his life is so given in radical obedience to God that even the suffering on the cross isn't worth him skipping over. Yeah. And um, and I think Wesley captured that in his discipleship process. And and my hope is that with my own life, I've, I've got a lot to hang on to. I love living so much. I, I, I mourn if I don't see my daughter for two days, let alone like I'm gonna die and get put buried in the ground. How will I leave them? Yeah. And yet, I follow a Christ who gave up his life and found that God was faithful to the one who would give their life up. And, um, and, I, and I think when you tell me stories of your dad, how he's walking right now, you see that pattern sort of living out in his life. He's, he's unafraid. He's not happy, right? But he's unafraid. Well, I think, you know, I, I mean, I, I see him wrestle as, as do I, you know, because, you know, here, so here's another interesting thing. My um, my 21 year old daughter, um, she's our third born. She just got engaged, and so here we have, as we talked about earlier, the two realities, right? So here we have all this life, and we're planning. We're just in the thick of the planning. It's um you know about six months away. Mm -hmm. The wedding is, so we're planning that. But then we also have this going on with my dad, and. Um, you know, some days it's exhausting. Some days I handle it better than others. Some days, you know, I give myself permission to be happy about the wedding mm -hmm. and to, you know, to get excited about that. And yet I'm, you know, I'm wondering, am, am I going to, you know, is my dad going to be there? And, and, you know, and he even said to me the other day that that's what he has asked the Lord for, you know, that God would gift him enough time to be able to see Becca and Nathaniel get married. And like, I'm wondering, am I going to have a seat 
in honor of him or will he actually be there? And so I see that wrestling even with him, you know, my dad is this huge spiritual giant in my eyes. And so I know that he has no doubt where he will go to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, my dad has taught me those truths and Mm -hmm. I've seen that played out in his life, but I also see him just even wrestling with that knowing, you know, when he holds my grandbaby, his great grandbaby that was also born in the midst of this during Mm -hmm. this pandemic, she was born a year ago this time too, you know? And so I see him, know that there is going to be all these life moments and milestones that are going to happen, that there's a good reality that he won't be here to see them on this side of heaven. Yeah. And one of the things that that I see too, is when people come out of their fog of grief and start re-engaging with life, they, they often feel guilty about the pleasures. Like how, how can I be happy? So-and-so isn't here. How can I go golfing? I love golfing, but I used to golf with my dad. How can I how can I um, shop for my wedding? How can I even get married? My mom isn't alive anymore, right? I mean, we tell ourselves that we should we shouldn't embrace the good of life. And and yet that's not that's not a good space to live either. And you're just naming off things, Lynn. Oh my goodness. The 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 crowning moments of life are happening in your life. Like the things you've prayed for since the time Becca was in your arm, mm-hmm. the things you've prayed for since Lauren was in your arm, grandchildren's and marriages, and all of that's playing out in real time while you're also mm-hmm. in, in the, the shadow of death. Yeah. This is, this is not how we draw it up. It's just not. And yet, and yet I, I, God, God is faithful through it all and inviting you into participating good things, even when it's when it's shaded with with fear and and sadness yeah and i think you know in the same for me in this season of grief with the same intentionality that that i say okay i'm I'm going to allow myself to feel this pain and to make space for that as i said a minute ago i also have to give myself permission to okay, today i'm i'm going to just you know let this sit over here in the pain and the grief and I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to be present in this moment too. You know, the passage that we often hear, right? The shortest scripture in the Bible, Jesus wept, you know, and it's all centered around, you know, the story of Lazarus and how, you know, he had been dead in the tomb for four days and, and Jesus comes and Mary and Martha as friends, they all think that he arrived late. And yet the first thing that Jesus does is he weeps. And he, he sits in that moment, but there's a, there's, there's a verse after that where he turns to Martha and he says, Martha, did I not tell you that if you only believe you will surely see the glory of God. And we know that glory translates into the presence Mm -hmm. of God. And even, you know, the glory of God can feel like a weighty presence as well. And so I have to be reminded that even though in that particular incident, because of, you know, God trying to make his known and himself known to the people at that time, Lazarus did go on and he became healed, right? He was Mm -hmm. resurrected. I'm not promised that though, even in this situation, but I am promised 
God's glory and his presence. And so my, my prayer these days have been then, okay, Lord, give me fresh eyes. Yeah. Because he said to her, if, if you believe, if you'll believe again, then you will see my glory or my presence. So I'm Lord, give me fresh eyes. Yeah. Help me to see you in the midst of all of this and then help me to show up and offer my gift of presence. And so that's what I've done. I, when I go sit with my dad, I, we cry, we laugh, you know, but, but I've decided I'm going to show up strong and showing up strong means showing up in tears, showing up in weakness, showing up in anger, showing up in all of those things. Yeah. But I am going to show up because we are the people of God and we can, and we'll do hard things and it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll do it. And uh, showing up and grief and all of those things don't just look like death, do they? I mean, we've talked a whole lot about death, our experience with death, our yeah. our, uh, our our fear that death may be coming. But um, I also recognize, and really the reason I wanted to talk about this is because grief is so heavy right now. We are grieving so many things. I I um, I pay really close attention to COVID infection rates because I want our church to be safe, and so I run across. The number of deaths every day and i've I, I i don't want that to just be a statistic for me i i want yeah. to mourn that people are dying mm -hmm. we just hit five hundred thousand deaths and that just weighs so heavy on me i mean that's that's uh world war one world war two civil war revolution all piled on top of each other that absolutely half a million people are dead that's the society we live in right now and there are people in our congregation that know those people, that love those people. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know someone who's died, you might have lost a job or know someone who's lost a job. You may, you may not have hugged a friend in a year now. You may not have been inside your church building in a year now. You may not have been in your office in a year now. You might have lost um, your senior year of high school, mm -hmm. your graduation. I mean, there's so many things to grieve, and I don't want to make light of those things in the shadow of death, death is really, I think, the worst thing we can grieve. But grief attaches itself to things we love across life. Absolutely. And all of us are processing grief right now. And my invitation to you is that thing that you're grieving is not insignificant, even if it feels insignificant compared to stories you hear around you. Absolutely. And so enter into your grief. Be honest with God about your grief. Don't read Lamentations if you want to. There are Psalms where the psalmist is shaking their fist at God. Those are called imprecatory Psalms if you wanted to Google that to find some. The Bible gives us permission to be angry and to be hurt and to be sad. And um, these things that we're grieving in our society, I, you, may, you may simply be grieving that you used to meet your buddies on Thursday morning for breakfast at the diner and you can't now. That may seem insignificant to you and you don't know why you're angry. That's a legitimate thing to grieve. Absolutely. So I just invite you to lean into that space. And um, the, the other thing you wanted to mention, Lynn, about grief is that there are those who who grieve who are um, the caregivers. And, and that's a season that we're living in as well. Um, mm -hmm. Some I'm, I'm thinking of people in our church who one spouse had COVID and the other didn't, and they were kind of thrown into caring for them. I'm thinking about a family in our church where one of the spouses is dealing with a significant cancer diagnosis that's carried on for years, and the other spouse is 
caring, 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 and doesn't know how to process their grief because the grief of the one who has cancer is key to them. Uh, what do you have to say to people who are who are grieving because they're grieving for the person they're caring for? Yeah, I mean, I think um, just, you know, watching my mom, you know, even my brother and I, we feel the, the deep pain, my children, you know, we feel the they feel the pain of what's going on with my dad, but, but we still come and go. We're not, you know, we, we're not in it 24 seven, the way that my mom is. And so I've just, you know, in this time, just really tried to, to pray for her and just to be a support to her as well. And, um, and I think for her too, she's had to allow us, um, to, you know, allow us to come in and to, to do things and, and for her to be okay with leaving my dad and, and going, you know, while one of us sit with my dad so that she can go. And if it's anything just to run errands or, you know, grab a coffee or, you know, just to take a break, to allow herself, to give herself permission yeah. to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, my heart has just been heavy, even for the children, you know, I'm always thinking about the kids and praying for the kids. I, uh, this past Sunday, I gave away four Cuddlesworth and he's this little bear. He's a bereavement bear, but I just, you know, ordered a, a cute little bear online and had a little custom Crossroad Kids shirt, you know, done to it, put on him and, you know, came up with the name Cuddlesworth. But um, I, you know, I gave out four this past Sunday mm-hmm. to kids in Crossroad Kids that has recently lost a loved one. And so again, just trying to come alongside of them. As I said in the beginning, it is an honor and it is such sacred space to be able to come alongside of someone who is grieving and hurting. Yeah, it absolutely is. Don't don't skip your moment. If you're invited, um, show up. It is profoundly awkward, it is profoundly difficult. There are no words you're going to say to make it better, but it's so important that you that, that if, if you're invited into the circle to show up when, when your friend is grieving, when your loved one is grieving, it's so important that we just come alongside and don't think you have to come with wisdom. Just presence makes a huge difference, doesn't it? That's right. You know, Tim, you, what was the quote that you said to me the other day in the office? Yeah. So um, for those of you who are Marvel fans, there's been a show on Disney Plus called WandaVision, and it's reviewing a character that died in the series of movies and, and his powerful girlfriend has kind of resurrected her, him so that she could live with him again because she's so overwhelmed with grief. And he finds out he's all along. He realizes something is wrong. It's not his full life that he's living. And um, she kind of confesses what has happened and why she's sad. And, And his line, his response, which is just so powerful is that he says, what is grief if not love persevering? And um, man, that's not that's not biblical, <laughs> but uh, it could be. I got that's that's a psalm right there. How beautiful is that? And so, um, if you're grieving or you know someone who's grieving, that's not a bad place to think about. Is that why? Why do you still hurt? Why? Why? Why do I still tear up when I think about my dad who died almost 20 years ago, Lynn? Why? Yeah. Because my love perseveres. I uh, yeah. I didn't love him passively. Mm-hmm. And um, that that matters, and um, and really legacy carries on in that way. 
there, there's another movie that I saw not long ago, a Pixar movie called Coco. Have you seen that one? No, not yet. So it's about the Mexican Day of the Dead, essentially. And um, listen, I don't recommend watching it around your dad's illness <laughs> because um, what what ends up happening, I guess, in the Day of the Dead, I'm not super familiar with the tradition, but uh, the idea is that families celebrate their loved ones and when someone is forgotten, when they're no longer remembered, they're they're lost to the place of the dead, but they come in presence to the family on the day of the dead if mm-hmm. they're remembered. And so there is a character in the land of the dead who f- knows he's in danger of being forgotten. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a boy goes and finds him and learns his story and they realize how important he was to their family. And, um, and so his, his memory and his legacy carries on because he's remembered, Mm -hmm. even though he's dead. And um, this this is not an overtly Christian movie. Um, There are certainly some, some Catholic sentiment in that Mexico is a Catholic country and this is a Mexican practice. And so you, you, if you look hard enough, you can see some Catholic spirituality in it, sure. but it's not a Christian movie in any way, shape or form, but, uh, but what a beautiful idea of how those that we've loved live on in some way when we, uh, when we carry their story and remember them and, uh, recognize how their story has shaped our life and our existence. And so, um, it's a, it's a powerful reminder for me to even think that, great grandparents I never met had a, had a, um, had a piece of my story the way I am now. They, they don't know me. They never met me, but I, I am who I am because of lives lived of people that I'll never meet. And, um, and to, to receive that with some sort of gratitude and memory and thanksgiving, even to God, not just to humans. Right. But, um, it's, a, it's an incredible thing to, to sort of process what, what love, both the person you can see, but then the person that you've lost as well Mm -hmm. and how that colors your life, I think. I agree. Well, we hope this has been helpful to uh, process and to think about grief and to build a theology of grief and also to invite you into a season of grief in a season where we're all grieving. Um, Pastor Lynn and I are both available to you. Um, We're easy to find. You can check out the Crossroads website. There's great ways to find us there. If you want to process your story in light of either of ours, we would love to talk with you and be available to you, um, please know that if you're hurting, you're not alone, that, uh, that you've got friends who have walked these trails before that are walking these trails right now. And our heart is to, uh, to, to share your story and your hurt with you. And so if this has touched you in a way you didn't know you could be touched, um, reach out to us and we're available to help you. Yes, definitely. And for your children as well. I am praying for them, but if the, if I can do anything more specific and more personal, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. I love you guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We hope this has been helpful. Um, we hope you have tissues nearby if it came to that while you were listening. And, um, and we, we hope that uh, you find the presence of God in your life through this conversation. Thank you for joining us for Through Life's Crossroads. This has been a ministry of Crossroads Church with Pastor Jake and Pastor Tim. We encourage you to continue to engage with us online throughout the week on Facebook at Crossroads Church of the Nazarene and also on Instagram, Crossroads Naz Church. Thanks for joining us for this episode.